Our second reading this morning comes to us from from uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. Listen for God's word. I believe that the present suffering is nothing compared to the coming glory that is going to be revealed to us. The whole creation awaits with breathless anticipation for the revelation of God's sons and daughters. Creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, it was the choice of the one who subjected it, but in the hope that creation itself will be set free from the slavery to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of God's children. We know that the whole creation is groaning together and suffering labor pains up until now. And it's not only the creation. We ourselves who have the spirit as the first crop of the harvest also grown inside as we await to be adopted and for our bodies to be set free. We were saved in hope. If what we see, if we see what we hope for, that isn't hope. Who hopes for what they already see? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit comes to help our weakness. We don't know what we should pray, but the Spirit himself pleads our case with unexpressed groans. The one who searches hearts knows how the Spirit thinks because he pleads for the saints consistent with God's will. We know that God works all things together for good, for the ones who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. We know this because God knew them in advance and he decided in advance that they would be conformed to the image of his son. That way his son would be the first of many brothers and sisters. Those whom God decided in advance would be conformed to his son, he also called. Those whom he called, he made righteous, and those whom he made righteous, he glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. So a lot of people have been asking me about my vacation. Um, uh, It was good. It was very good. We had sun. We did not have two feet of snow. We had sun. We actually were sweating. It was hot. Um, and uh, so we had sun. We had uh, way too much to eat, or at least I did. And um, we went to interesting places. So somebody asked me about Japan. I found Japan fascinating, what, what we saw of it. So, um, so there were some good things about the vacation, but the best thing of all was I had no internet for 18 days. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I didn't quite. Whenever we got to, we, Margo and I had decided up front we would not buy the internet package. We wanted a break from that too. But you know how addictions are. So whenever we got to port, we would find some place that had had um, an internet, and we'd like get our email and so forth. But but other than that, we didn't have email. So about maybe two hours and 18 days. So I consider that no internet, and that was a good thing because. Because there's so much that's not good on the internet, and you know, you know, you know what it is. Um, even in those emails, we saw, we learned about personal tragedies, uh, people who became sick, people who entered hospice, people who died, people who were injured, people who had difficulty healing. So we we learned about personal tragedies, but of course we also learned about the global tragedies, the the great problems of this world. Um, most prominently, the the troubles, the the horrific uh, terror attacks in um, Israel 
in um, on October 7, and then the ongoing response in Gaza. Um, and of course, that follows on the heels of uh, a year and a half of war in um, in Ukraine, and that's by no means the end uh, of the war on this planet. There are eight current military, con- or I should say, armed conflicts going on in Africa alone and others in other places of the world. Last year, a quarter of a million people on the on on Earth died in military, or again, I keep saying military, in armed conflicts. So there's plenty of war to go around. And then, of course, there's there's natural disasters. There's you know the volcano in Iceland that's threatening that town. There's flooding in Florida and uh, in parts of Africa. Um, and then there's crime. You know the the background of crime we hear all the time. Uh, from mass shootings to high school kids beating one another to death. There's a lot of bad news out there. Now, if you're thinking, I'm so glad I came to church today. (laughs) Thank you for depressing me. Um, uh, Well, let me tell you, um, I'm going to be preaching a Thanksgiving uh, sermon on Tuesday, right? There's a lot we can be thankful for. But... This isn't Tuesday, this is Sunday. So I want to talk about what what do we do with all that bad news, right? We, you know, again, there will be things we can be thankful for. But what do we do about the bad news? What what does our faith say about the bad things, about the evil in this world? Does God care? Is is God just completely aloof to our problems? Does God care? And and if he does care, is he going to do anything about it? Why do these bad things keep happening if God does care? Well, I will tell you in case you have to leave early or in case you're depressed and want to leave early. Um, I'll tell you, that is really the, the central question at the heart of our faith. Uh, why is there trouble in the world? Actually, let's go ahead and talk about that. There's not only trouble... Uh, sorry, sorry. thank you for catching that. Um, so I was going to mention this. Yesterday in the New York Times, there was this. Um, there was an editorial that said this. The school closures that took 50 million children out of the classrooms at the start of the pandemic may prove to be the most damaging disruption in the history of American education. My brother's a teacher, and he would... My wife's a teacher, but, but my brother is a teacher in a public school, and he would agree with that. The, the pandemic, uh, 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 the things that happened as part of the pandemic, um, it also set back student progress in math and reading by two decades and widened the achievement gap that separates poor and wealthy children. So there's not only the current problems, but there's these problems we know are going to be out there, right? Two decades, two decades of, of, um, uh, reading, reading, dif- reading and, and math difficulties and an achievement gap that that will only exacerbate social uh, problems. Um, and then multiply that by all the other countries in the world that, that have the similar sorts of problems from whatever they did during the pandemic. So, so you know, when, when it says uh, poor and wealthy children, you can think poor and wealthy countries too. So, so we know of the current problems and there's more problems to come. And the question is, what does our faith have to say? And the answer, as I said, is that our faith is really all about this question. The, the big idea of, of Christianity is that God made the world good, right? First page of Genesis. God made the world good, but we look around and we see it's not. That's the problem. What, what is the problem? God, God made it good, 
it it went bad. Something happened. It's gone bad. And what is God doing? God is fixing the problem. That is really the whole rest of the Bible. From page 2 to the very end, that is the story of the Bible. God is fixing what went wrong with creation. So so that is that is the big idea of scripture and we're going to see that in Paul's writing today as we look at this passage of uh, Romans. Um so so uh if you have your scriptures in front of you, we're going to start in on page uh, on on uh, chapter eight, verse eighteen. Paul says, "I believe the present suffering is nothing compared to the coming glory that is going to be revealed to us." So Paul is saying, "You're not imagining things. You are suffering. There is trouble in this world. There's no attempt to kind of say, oh, it's not that bad.'" Paul's saying, "No, there's present suffering. It is bad." He says that. That there are problems in this world, and uh, we don't know exactly what problems Paul was thinking about. He could have been thinking about persecution. Um, if he wasn't, uh, we know ten years later, when uh, when Nero was emperor, there would have been persecution in um, the uh, terrible persecution of the church in Rome. So maybe Paul's thinking about some kind of persecution he was aware of. Um, and if he was, there's persecution in this world today, from Nigeria to Yemen to North Korea. There's persecution still going on of Christians in this world. So maybe Paul's talking or has that particularly in mind, but Paul, as we will see, is thinking about the bigger problem of why is there evil in the world, all the different kinds of evil in the world. So so he says, um, uh, the present suffering is there, but there's something better coming. Something that is not just better, but so much better that that the the present suffering Will be dwarfed in comparison. It will. It won't even. It won't even uh, uh, be obvious. It, we won't even remember it. It's nothing compared to the coming glory. So, what is that thing? Well, he he's not ready to say yet what it is. He says. He says whatever it is, the whole creation waits with breathless waits breathless with anticipation for the revelation of God's sons and daughters. So, God's sons and daughters is what's going to be revealed, and he says that's such a big deal. That's so important that. Creation itself is waiting um, on tiptoes, uh, uh, breathless with anticipation. And he says, why? Why? Verse 20, 20, creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but it was the choice of the one who subjected it. So what, what does he mean? Well, you know what it is to be frustrated. It means you're, you're being forced to wait. You had hoped for something, and it hasn't happened, or maybe it will never happen, and you're frustrated. That thing you were anticipating you're, you're denied it. So he says creation is anticipating this good thing that's coming, and yet it is being forced to wait. And he says um, that it has been subjected to to um, to frustration in the hope that creation itself will be set free from slavery to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of God's children. So creation itself, he's saying it's not just people. It's not just it's not just the the bad things that people do to one another. It's the whole world is a mess. I mean, literally, the world is a mess. There's volcanoes and flooding, climate change. There's all these problems that occur. Um, and creation itself will be set free from uh, the slavery to decay. And the, the, the reason for that is it will be brought into the glorious freedom of God's children. So there he is again with, with God's sons and daughters. What does he mean by that? Well, he's still not told us, but he says, speaking of, speaking of the God's children, he says... Um, he says, uh, 
It's not, uh, uh, sorry, verse 22. We know that the whole creation is groaning together and suffering labor pains up until now. So he's using a metaphor here. He's saying that, that the good thing that's coming, he's mentioned this good thing that's coming. He says, he says it's like, it's like uh, when a woman is pregnant, there's, there's groaning, there's labor pains, but then there is a good thing that results from all that. He says that you can think of the problems in the world, the volcanoes and so forth, you can think of them as, as um, the, the groaning as creation itself waits to be delivered. And, and then he says, um, the, the, what they're, what creation is waiting for is the glorious freedom of God's children. And speaking of them, uh, he says it's not only creation. We ourselves, who have the spirit as the first crop of the harvest, also groan inside as we wait to be adopted and for our bodies to be set free. So what does he mean by that? He, he means, he means we ourselves, he's talking about Christians. He's saying we who, who have been given the Spirit as as um, the first part of a great harvest. So we've gotten a taste of what God has promised. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, is Himself just a taste of what God has to to give us um, as um, as uh, we wait to be adopted and our bodies to be set free. What does He mean by that? He means. Uh, we, we have been adopted into the family of the children of God, but we don't have all that comes from that. We, we are still um, in the position of having, having not received our entire inheritance. And in fact, in another letter, Paul uses that language. He says this Holy Spirit is a down payment on that full inheritance that comes to the children of God. So, so he's saying, uh, that, 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 uh, that's, that's what we have. We have some of what God has promised. And he says, we're saved in hope. We are saved, right? There's no question about that. Uh, God has, has saved us. Uh, we, we have been put right with God, but, um, but we don't have all that, that God has promised. That there are still more things that God has promised to us besides salvation or in addition to salvation. He says, we're saved in hope. There's that other thing out there. He says, if we see what we hope for, that is in hope. So if you look at your life and you say everything's everything's um, terrible or everything's good, uh, if you can see it, that's not the thing you're hoping for. There's something still better. So he says, who hopes for what they already see? But if we hope for what we don't see, we, like creation, we wait for it with patience. Um, uh, we're waiting for that thing, the, the rest of the inheritance, the rest of the harvest. We're waiting for... The, the, the labor pains to, to come to an end when, uh, that good new thing is born. So, he says that's the situation we're in. Creation is waiting, we're waiting. We're waiting because the world is a mess and something better is coming. It's not just more of the same. You know, when, when people talk about eternal life, eternal life is not simply, you know, unending life because who would want that? Right? It is something better. It is the, it is the good new thing that God is doing. So, so he says, we wait for it with patience. And then verse 26, he says, in the same way, um, the Spirit comes to help our weakness. Uh, just a couple of verses ago, Paul has said, the Spirit um, gives us reassurance of our salvation, that, that we have a different relationship with God because of Jesus. We are saved and we no longer see God as a tyrant or as, as a judge. We see God as a loving Father. So he says the, the Spirit testifies to that in our hearts. And in the same way the Spirit does that, the Spirit also um, uh, helps our weakness. What does he mean by that? 
He says, we don't know what we should pray, but the Spirit himself pleads our case with unexpressed groans. So groaning again, more groaning. So, so the Spirit, so, so the Spirit, um, helps us with our prayers. If you think about it, what do you pray, right? Do you, do you know what to pray? You know, if, if God said, all right, name it, and I'm going to give you exactly what you asked for, what would you pray for Gaza? Specifically, what, you know, what would you like to see done in Gaza? What would you like to see done in Ukraine? What would you pray about the troubles in this world? You know, the, the, the stories about the genie with the lamp. Do you even know how many prayer, you know, how, how long are you going to be praying? Are you going to get all the problems or are you going to leave some off? Right? We don't know what to pray. You know, if somebody that you love is dying, they, they've told you he's got a terminal illness. Do you know when it's time for him to die? We don't know what to pray. And Paul says, but the Spirit comes alongside. The Spirit living inside of us adds his prayers to our groans. So um, so the Spirit himself pleads our case with unexpressed groans. And that may mean the Spirit is groaning too, or it may mean um, that... Our groans are added to this, or, or the Spirit's prayers are added to our groans. But he says the, that that makes the prayers effective. The one who searches hearts knows how the Spirit thinks because he pleads for the saints. He, the Spirit, pleads for the saints consistent with God's will. And then he says once again, he says, we know, we know. Uh, when Paul says we know, he means, he means this is our experience. This is not something that that uh, we have to think about. Um, I mean, it, because we, we've heard these stories over and over again. We know that God works all things together for good for the ones who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. So that's a popular phrase. You see it, you know, on uh, Christian merchandise sometimes. But w- what does he mean? He means we know. He says this is experience. This is something we've known because we have had a relationship. We, Israel, have had a relationship with God going back centuries and we know that this is what God does. This is characteristically the way God acts. He doesn't mean that everything bad has a purpose, but he means that everything bad cannot overcome God's purpose. That there is there is bad in the world. However bad it is, it can still not triumph over God's purpose. There's a there's a joke that Jews tell at the Passover dinner. It is it is they tried to kill us. We survived, let's eat. And that's the idea. From, from the time of Pharaoh to Haman, um, uh, Paul would have, if he'd heard that joke, he would have, he would have thought of the way that God had triumphed, uh, through those terrible evils that, that, um, had been, sub- that the Jewish, uh, uh, people had been subjected to. Um, but we might add, in, with historical hindsight, we might add the emperors Justinian or, um, uh, uh Hadrian. We might think about Hitler. We might think about Hamas. These are things that, that with the light of history, we can say that, that God, we know that God, um, works all things together for good for the ones who love God. Who are the ones who love God? Well, Paul is probably thinking first of, of Israel. He's thinking about the Shema prayer. Um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So, so, um, he says, we know God does this, and he says, uh, who are called according to his purpose. So God told Abraham very uh, up front, he said, he said, 
I have, I have something in mind for you. You're going to become a great nation. And from that nation will come uh, um, a blessing for all humanity, the, the coming Messiah. So, he says, we know this. Again, Israel knows this because God knew them in advance, the ones who love him. They, he knew, they knew. We know that God knew them. So it's kind of weird. God knew us. God knew Israel. Um, we know this because God knew the people of Israel. He knew them in advance. Before Abraham was even called, God had already purposed to save the world through Abraham. So he says, and he decided in advance they would be conformed to the image of his son. That way the son would be the first of many brothers and sisters. So this is, this is the very heart of, of Christian theology. It is the idea that humanity had a calling. God gave us the calling in the garden to tend and keep creation, to, to reflect, uh, as creatures made in the image of God, our, our role, our vocation was to reflect God's goodness into the good creation. But Adam sinned. Adam rebelled against God and the image of God was distorted. And humans can't be trusted to properly, um, uh, steward creation anymore. Since then. And so God purposed in Abraham to bring about a Messiah that when people were conformed to his image, the image of God in them would be restored to its proper, uh, uh, it would be restored properly, and then they would be able to uh, take up the vocation that God gave them. So God, um, uh, God uh, uh, says that way, that way his son, Christ, Jesus, would be the first of many brothers and sisters. That it wouldn't just be Jesus who is now reflecting God, but it would be everyone, uh, everyone who is called. Um, uh, and he says, and it's not just um, the, the descendants of Abraham. He says those who God decided in advance would be conformed to his son, he also called. So there is some group of people beyond that, and Paul doesn't know how many there are, so he just simply says, whoever they are, the ones that God decided to... to um, to also conform to his son, he also called. And those whom he called, he made righteous. He said, you're, you're okay with me. There's nothing between us that has to be resolved. I've, I've set you right with me. And he says, those whom he made righteous, he also glorified. So, the, the big idea here is that something's gone bad, something's gone wrong with creation. Humanity was supposed to be tending creation. But we, we shrugged off that job and our, our, the vision, the, the image of God in us is distorted. But Christ came, He saved us, but He is also the, 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 the picture of God, the picture that, that we need to be restored to. And that is what God is doing. God is working in us to glorify us, to make us back into that image, uh, of God that can properly steward creation. And that's why he says creation is eagerly awaiting the revelation of the sons of God, the sons and daughters of God. The, that that is that is what our role will be when when um, Jesus returns and everything is made new again. So, so that is that is the big idea for Paul. That is that is really the whole story of what God is doing. It's not just that God is saving us, not just you know you're saved, you go to heaven when you die. But rather, you're saved and now you can take up your vocation again. 
This is the story of unwinding of all the sin and evil in the world. So that's the picture that he's that he's given. And so the question for us is what does what what do we do in the face of this? There's all this trouble in the world. What do we do? Well, the first thing we do is we groan, right? I don't know how many of you have seen the the meme uh the dog sitting in a house that's on fire. Has anyone besides me seeing that okay so a couple people the dog is sitting there the house is on fire and the dog is saying this is fine right paul says no groan call out evil for what it is don't say well you know uh you know i guess that's just the way things are or something like that Uh, paul says no we groan we look at evil and we name it for what it is we say this is not what god wants this is evil so we look at the world and we groan but the other thing we do is we pray. And we can pray even knowing that we don't know what to pray for because we know the Spirit joins us in our prayers. And so we can pray and we can kind of fumble our way through it. You know, pastors joke about people who pray, you know, Lord, we just ask this or, you know, where they kind of minimize their prayers, right? Your prayers don't have to be flowery and beautiful, right? Because you've got the Spirit. And trust me, the Spirit's prayers are better than anyone's. So God will hear those prayers and God will grant what the Spirit asks. So pray, knowing that your prayers will be heard and acted on by God. So we groan and we pray. And the other thing is prayer is a two-way street. So we listen because we are, we, the church, are the body of Christ. And Christ enters into the troubles of the world. So God may direct you, God may direct us to... to um, to enter into the trouble of the world. One of the things, you know, I mentioned the New York Times article about the reading problems, and I've talked to a number of teachers about the, the difficulty that, that, um, that is, is, um, going to accrue over the next decades over, uh, because of the pandemic restrictions. And one of the things I've thought about is if this church, which is located across the street from an elementary school, could be part of Solving that problem or at least addressing that problem. If we could have a reading club or something like that that would help address this, this need. Um, because the world is, is a messed up place and we're to call out evil for what it is, but we can pray that God would be at work in it, that we don't have to wait until the end of the age for some things to get better. So groan and pray. Heavenly Father, in in the book of Genesis we read that your heart was broken by human evil and the the rippling consequences of that evil across all of creation Lord we give thanks that you did not simply shrug and say, well, that's too bad, but you entered into the troubles of this world. You sent your son to confront the evil, to break its power, and you sent your spirit into each of us and uh, to all of us that we might pray the prayers we should pray for the betterment of the, the world and the end of the evils. Lord, Hear our prayers and hear our groans. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.